coming up on this episode of the MD and Chef Team Show. My tagline is never stop becoming, is that I believe at the core of my being that when we give ourselves permission to define who we want to become, what we need to do gets crystal clear. And so most people have it backwards. They're, they're asking the question, what do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? It's not that that's not a good question. It's just the wrong first question. Welcome to the show from the The MD and Chef Team. Team. I'm Dr. Isabel, medical doctor here at the MD and Chef Team. And who are you? And I'm Chef Michael, culinary nutrition expert. I'm the chef part of the team. And what are we going to talk about, babe? Now, I can say that because he's my husband. (laughs) Yes. Well, then (laughs) we'll be talking about marriage, relationships, parenting, intimacy. We'll talk about mindsets of success, overcoming depression, anxiety. I'll be getting into functional nutrition, recipes and tips from the kitchen. And we're going to both get into how to live a long, healthy, vibrant life. Yes, I love it. Our mission is to help you prevent and reverse disease and give you hope in the process. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. We We like like to have fun, too. So let's Let's get get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MD and Chef Team Show. And today we have a very special guest, a wonderful man and a great friend, David Waldy. David, so great to see you today. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I am doing so, so good. It's great to be with y'all. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Now, by just throwing in that y'all, we kind of of figure uh, (laughs) that you're somewhere over in the East Coast, maybe a little southerly type area of the USA. Is that correct? That's right. So I am a Kansas born and bred, but I moved to Florida right before I turned 14. And then I've been in South Carolina for the last 14 years. And my wife... She is a Southern belle. And so just, you know, you stay around that for a decade or so and you pick things up. I had a video we were talking about before this where instead of like turning on the water heater, I said, cut on the water heater. It just comes out. That Southern just comes out. <laughs> love it. We love it. We're from the East Coast and yeah. we use those slangs sometimes. Yeah. Y'all. <laughs> yeah. And, and since we now live in New Zealand, when that stuff comes out, we get a little bit like, huh? And it's so funny because our girls who are very Kiwi, very, very New Zealand with their slang, they say, Mom, Dad, you guys sound so American. (laughs) Well, well, that was our first language. Yeah, that's our first language. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. I love it. David, do you mind if we share a little bit about you and just kind of give it some bio and some history of who you are, and then we'll launch into the podcast? Is that all right with you? Of course. Let's go. I'm excited. All, all right, right. Hon, you go ahead. Great. Well, David is a life and business strategist, personal coach, speaker, and author, empowering entrepreneurs and leaders to get out of their own way. I love that. and fix what's broken and never stop becoming the leader they said they would be. After nearly taking his own life and experiencing a divine wake-up call, David left his corporate career to reinvent himself, rebuild his family, and redefine what was possible in his personal and professional life. He now empowers leaders through his philosophy of fierce empathy, which we will definitely take a deep dive into, which enable us to look in the mirror 
face the facts, which can be very confronting, and confront the challenges that hold us back from success, fulfillment, and aligned abundance. As a husband, father, and a Kansas farm boy and hot, (laughs) David (laughs) believes that lasting success is determined by integrity, responsibility, commitment, and accountability in not only our work, but in every moment we have. He has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and leaders from over 40 different countries and shared stages with influencers like Tony Robbins, which is where we met you, and Russell Brunson. He is also an outdoorsman, coffee snob, personal growth junkie, and avid nonfiction reader. I love all of that. (laughs) We so relate with so much of that, right? Yeah, yes. All right. Well, what are we going to talk about today? Well, David, you said something in there about fierce empathy. Yeah. What is that? Can you please Mm -hmm. explain that to our listeners? Absolutely. So fierce empathy is, you can call it a concept or a philosophy that came out of a lot of growth, a lot of pain, a lot of dark days, and a lot of really wrestling with with circumstances and reality. And we all kind of get into this phase, you know, and some people go through this phase their entire life is that we are so resistant to everything that's around us that we start to adopt this belief that if we could just change out there, everything would be okay in here. If we could just fix our spouse, our kids, our job, our boss, our health, or whatever it is, we start looking at, you know, politics, we look at the economy, we look at world events, we look at all sorts of different things. And what ends up happening is we we live in this perpetual reactionary state, which I'm sure as you guys know from the health and nutrition side, when you are living in a perpetual reactionary state, cortisol goes through the roof and you're perpetually stuck in a fight or flight modality. You're living on the defense and everything in life feels like it's happening to you. Mm -hmm. And one of our favorite phrases I know from Tony Robbins is, you know, what if life's happening for you, not Mm -hmm. to you? And so fierce empathy came out of some of what I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. This really paradox of life. When you look at the words fierce and empathy, they're two words that almost seem opposite, right? They seem like, okay, fierce has this, you know, ferocious, tenacious, kind of like almost violent characteristic to it, right? It's very aggressive. But then empathy, it, it usually has this feeling of more that soft, nurturing, that that tenderness. And what I started to realize was that we definitely relate on this is as I was going through some incredibly tough seasons, I started to realize that particularly the Jesus that I grew up with, I grew up with one modality, which was Jesus as the lamb which is more of what I would call the empathy side, right? We see his compassion. We see his care. We see his love. We see him stopping for the least of these. But it wasn't until probably my mid to late 20s where I started really diving into scripture for myself and starting to see this other part of Jesus that was just never there from what I'd been taught and what I'd learned and Bible school and all that fun stuff. And I started to see this part of Jesus that was like the lion, right? We hear the lion and the lamb. Those are two very, very different animals when we think about the characteristics. And what I had struggled with for most of my life was that I had just this overabundance of of empathy, which as a man growing up, I felt very insecure about. 
I was like, this is not a manly characteristic. I don't want to go around telling everybody my, you know, my top strength is empathy. And I had to go through a process of really starting to understand that my, my definition of empathy was very shallow, very incomplete, very misunderstood. And I started trying to marry it with these two, these two things I was seeing, not only characterized in the life of Jesus, but just in, in the events that we see today. You know, we talk about you've got pro-life and pro-choice. You know, here in America, we have the Democrats and Republicans. We have black versus white. We have, you know, women versus men. And you start seeing across the world, it doesn't matter where you're at, there are groups that seem to be at odds with one another. And I started to really dive into this place of like, why is there such conflict? Mm -hmm. And the biggest reason I believe is because there's a lack of true empathy and trying to do everything we can within our power to see, hear, and understand from another person's perspective. Mm -hmm. So fierce empathy for me is this willingness to be fiercely committed, to let go of our ego to let go of the pretense, to let go of our ideologies and our beliefs in a healthy enough way where we can open the door to create conversation and to explore the perspective of another person's life or how they see life. And so fierce empathy to me, kind of a simplistic definition, and it, it evolves depending on the context, is that being fiercely committed to do everything within our power, to see, hear, and understand from another person's perspective while simultaneously being willing to speak the hard truth and love as we see it, meaning that we don't abandon what we believe. We still hold to what we believe. We carry what we believe. And we're strong in that. But we're willing to say, I understand that I see the world a certain way. I hold on to what I believe, but I'm not going to allow that to override this conversation in such a way that I can't create a context where you feel seen, heard, and understood, even if we disagree. Right. Yes. Yes. Oh, I so get that because that's exactly right in today's world. I mean, we've, as supposed mature adults, we've <laughs> lost the art of conversation, discussion. You know, it's it's out the door. You know, if you disagree or I disagree, we just kind of go, you know, start hollering at each other and, <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. Twitter thing where everybody's going at each other and hating each other. And it's like, when did we lose this art of discussion, as you say, fierce empathy, like, yes, I believe in what I say, but I'm open to have understanding and conversation yeah. and discussion with you to see where you're at and what makes you believe what you believe. And, and we just we don't even bother with that anymore. Yeah. It's it, that is such a great definition. And uh, I look forward to applying that also in our business, our coaching business with health and wellness clients. You know, yeah. to understand where they're at. It's really powerful when you take it even, even to everyday occurrences. One of the, the ways that I love to overlay fierce empathy is, have you ever been through, you know, go, you go to a restaurant. I think restaurants are a great example. And you order your food, right? And then the server brings your food out and it's the wrong order or they forgot something or whatever it is. And most people's tendency is to get irritated in that moment, right? It's like, this is the wrong thing. I've been waiting for my food. And oftentimes a lot of that is directed straight at the server. Like that server should have known better. And what I found is when you take just everyday examples, like the restaurant, we tend to default towards negative stories. We make up in our head every single day, every single moment, stories about everything, right? And we tend to, as human beings, for whatever reason, I think that sin has a big part of it, 
we tend to assume the worst. We tend to assume the negative. We tend to make everything about us. And so in that moment, when your food is incorrect, instead of what goes through our head, what I'll share kind of what typically goes through our head is like, they weren't paying attention to me or they were rushing or, or whatever it is. They don't actually care about me. They're not going to get a good tip now or the back, you know, the people in the back making the food, they didn't really care or whatever it is. That's the default story, right? It's the same thing when we go through the drive through at Starbucks and somebody orders 17 drinks in front of us and we're like, who the heck needs 17 drinks? Come on, I got to get to work, right? We're defaulting to all these negative things instead of putting ourselves into their shoes and thinking what potential alternative story could be happening, right? And in the restaurant example... It's the, the chef's fault, just so you know, okay? Because but, that's just the way it is. It's always it's, the chef's it's always fault. The, chef's the fault. chef was in a bad mood. He just threw <laughs> the food and get out of here. Just wanted to let you know as a waitress with a yeah, chef at gonna... one point in our life. <laughs> I am but... not even going to go anywhere down that rabbit hole. But as you were saying, as you were saying, this poor waitress or waiter. Yeah. What happens, <laughs> what we don't realize is that, and this is equally as possible as whatever story we make up, is that when that waitress or waiter went back to pick up the food, they got a text message. Oh. And they just found out that their mom passed away. Mm. or they walk back and there's somebody who's breaking down because they just found out something happened, right? Something traumatic, something. And, and so all of a sudden they're trying to like frenetically get stuff in the back and they got to pull somebody off the line and everybody's trying to, you as a customer don't see any of that. You have no idea. And because they're going to save face, they're going to come out and let the show must go on. Right. Right. And so we internalize all these things. Like even when we're waiting, you know, to pick up Starbucks or whatever, or when we're driving down the interstate and somebody cuts us off. Right. That's another great example. I've started to tell myself, I've started to catch and tell myself these stories of like, I'll catch the negative story, but what could be a potential alternative story? Because the fact of the matter is they're both irrational. But we tend to cling on to the one that makes us feel justified in whatever the situation is. So somebody cuts you off in traffic. Another quick example. The story I now tell myself is that person just got a phone call. Or that is a husband taking his wife to the emergency room because she's about to have a baby. There's all these stories that we can make up if we choose to. And what ends up happening is that we start to see joy and peace and contentment blood back into our lives because we're no longer playing this, this track that's just programmed into our head of negative, negative, negative. It's all about me. Life's against me. Like all these problems, all these situations. And what you start to realize is that 99.99% of the time, it's a completely irrational story that we've just grabbed onto so that we can feel vindicated and being upset or frustrated or nobody cares about me or, right. or whatever. And so fierce empathy is something that when you practice it, it actually starts to kind of take over your life and you start to see colors you've never seen before. There's more vibrancy. There's more joy, like I said, and it's just a beautiful way that I found to live. I'm not perfect at it. I will say that. <laughs> no, we get you. Yeah, but it's good. You know, you have just given me a definition of what I've been going through personally for a last five years or a five-year period where God broke me down mm -hmm. in areas of my life where mm -hmm. these were the two words that I needed to come to. One was be 
humble and have humility, not mm. be so proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other one was judgment, to learn to be non-judgmental. Mm. And I've gone through that, and I've actually been practicing exactly what you've said, but I didn't have that type of definition. And it really gives me some clarity to understand, okay, what's been going on here? Why, you know, why was I so broken down in these areas? Because I mm. knew I was being put through the fire to mm. get to be better, better Michael in society, so we could have another better person in society. And yes, that's <laughs> and a better leader too. And a better leader and yeah. you know, coach in, in what areas we work in. And I know for me, you said it beautifully that peace mm. coming out the other side of that, just the stuff that happens to you daily, all of us, when these situations come up to reframe it with the with a story that's more of a positive side and just being having humility and not being judgmental to what's going on to those people gives me so much more peace to say, okay, hey, this could be going on in their lives. Let's not just fly off the handle toward them and let's have well, some. I want to ask you a question too, because there's another use that I think anyone that's listening and you guys as well would, would find useful. Isabel, is Michael a fixer? Does he like to fix things? Like when you bring him stuff and you're just talking, does he always try and or maybe he's grown out of this, but is he like many men who are just like, oh yeah, here's what you need to fix. Here's what you need to do. You need to do this and this and this and this. Has he ever been like that? Or is the role flip? He actually, I'm the fixer. <laughs> You're the fixer. Awesome. All right. <laughs> because I come from an alcoholic father family. Okay. And so I always wanted to fix everything to keep everything under control. So I'm the fixer. Would you agree? Okay. Yeah, you're the fixer. And you're the- okay. was, uh, like I love it. Okay. There's the fixer. So, let me ask I you, was, for instance. I always wanted to get everything under control and, you know, because so if you've got it fixed- you- let yeah. me ask you a for instance. So, Michael, has there ever been a time where you're just processing something with Isabel? You're not looking for solutions, but she immediately jumps into solution mode and you're like, dude, calm down. I'm not like, <laughs> has that ever happened to you? <laughs> uh, let's see. What day is this? What hour is this? Huh? <laughs> but it's, I would say, you know, we, we, you know, we've been together 43 years, so we understand each other and we work through things, but probably the most difficult for Isabel in that area is we have two daughters. They're now in their twenties. And I mm. want to fix them. Well, they're in their twenties. <laughs> uh, I can guarantee you, they don't want to be fixed. They got their lives. <laughs> they're amazing, amazing young women. Yeah. But they will let us know when they want some input. And yeah. so, you know, as you know, being a parent and now your children are younger, but as they go on further, you're going to, when you see the stuff, you see them heading toward a cliff and a mistake, you mm. kind of want to grab it and fix it and say, I know how you don't go there, but you kind of <laughs> get to a point where, you know, yeah. once they're gone and out there, you got to let them go and yeah. crash and burn so, at times. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up is that it's really useful in, in all relationships. And it's also especially useful in coaching. There's a question that I like to ask because a lot of times people will bring us issues or problems, right? They're, I know you guys love to help people solve problems and they say, well, you know, they might come up with all these excuses or justifications, or they say all these things. And your first instinct is like, well, just do this instead, right? Here's how you fix the problem. Here's what the solution is. But the problem with that is that 
those of us that are wired or in a, even in a professional capacity in a position to help people fix and solve problems. That's what we, that we do as entrepreneurs. That's what we do just in, in life in general, especially if you have, you know, high empathy and you want to take care of people. The problem with that is that the overwhelming majority of instances where people come and talk to you and share their problems, they're not actually looking for solutions because they already know the solution. What they're looking for is to be seen, heard, and understood. So my favorite question to ask when someone brings me a problem, and this is where fear, sympathy kind of kicks in in a whole nother level, is are you looking for support or are you looking for solutions? Because the answer to that question will inform the very next thing that is said or the very next thing that is done. For those of us like me, Isabel, I am exactly like you. I'm a fixer. If you bring me a problem, like I care about you, but I care more about solving the problem. So it's like, I don't want to hear about your whiny stuff. Like, just go do this thing and fix it. Right. Like, <laughs> like this is, this is how you solve the problem. Can we get on with life? Right. And what ends up happening is even though our, the modality that we're operating in is we're trying to show care. We're like, I care about you. Like, just do this and fix the problem and you'll be good. Like, this is, I want you happy. I want to be happy. We're good. Like fix the problem. Right. But the problem in that, again, is that a lot of times people aren't looking for solutions because they already know the solution or they just need to verbally process with someone to come to a place where they can develop a solution for themselves. And so most people default to immediately chiming in their opinion or their advice or whatever it is, right? And in coaching, this is incredibly useful as well because there was a point in time where I had I had a coach, a mentor of mine, where it was a very, very dark season for me. And it was uh, one of the three times that I've really dealt with suicidal ideation in my life. And we ended up getting on a call and he went straight into coaching mode. When I had said on the front end, I said, Hey, I don't need solutions. I'm good. I know exactly what I need to do. I've got the support around me. I'm talking to my pastor. I'm talking with my wife, like everything's okay, but I do need support. I need to know that I have brothers for, for me as a man, like I believe in that and women for sisters, I just need to know that I'm not carrying this alone. And I need to know that you're standing with me. I don't need you to tell me anything. I don't need you to do anything. Mm-hmm. I just need you to hold space for me. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't happen. We got on a call and he immediately went into solution mode. Like, where are you messing up? Where are you dropping the ball? What's wrong? Da-da-da, all this stuff. Right. And trying to give me, it's like, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And And it hurt because I had specifically tried to on the front end say, I don't need solutions from you. I don't need you to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I know everything I'm doing wrong. (laughs) I don't need you to tell me what I need to do to fix this or to change or whatever. What I need is just be like, brother, I hear you. I'm with you. I love you. I needed someone to remind me of the things that I, I wanted to believe in that moment. Then we all have these times where we, we forget what God has said about us. Sometimes we accept it, but sometimes we, that slips out from us and we forget. I just needed someone to remind me like, this is who the father says that you are. Not these yeah. stories in your head, not these thoughts that you're having, not all the, all the feelings and the emotions and all the stuff. And that was a powerful lesson for me being on the receiving end of someone who was trying to help, but actually caused more pain, caused more frustration because with everything he was saying, He was simply reinforcing the negative story that was already going through my head of feeling like a failure because that was like, where are you failing? Where are you messing up? What are you doing wrong? All the stuff, right? 
And so I say that because when we're working with people, just people are beautiful, complex, nuanced individuals. Every one of them. Yeah. Um, they're also knuckleheads. We all are. And <laughs> when you ask that question up front, what it does is it doesn't assume what the other person really needs in that moment. Because if we deploy fierce empathy and we say, if I was this person, right, that's one side of empathy is saying, if I was this person, what would I say? What would I do? What would I think? That's how a lot of people see empathy, but a layer deeper, the fierce empathy is not saying, what would I do in that situation? Because you're still inserting your ego. You're still inserting yourself into their shoes. It's saying, if I remove all of who I am and I can do everything within my power to think about their background and their upbringing and what I know about them and what they've shared with me, if I was them, right? Not if I was in their shoes, if I was them, what would they need in this moment? And that's really hard to assume because we have limited information about every person. So this question completely clears the table. And it says, are you looking for support or are you looking for solutions? And I have found the overwhelming majority of times that when you ask that question, people will they'll either say support or they'll say probably a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very rarely do people just, I just want solutions. Very rarely do people just say like, tell me what to do to fix it because people are brilliant. People know what they need to do. We just lie to ourselves and we get in our own way, right? And that's why a lot of what I try and do and the work that I do is help people to change these stories so that they can fix what's broken because I don't believe there's a single broken person on this planet. I think we have brokenness inside of us, Yes. but I don't think we're intrinsically, if that makes sense. Yes. Like there's a lot of people going around like, we're broken, I'm broken, I'm broken. And when you tell yourself that story over and over and over again, you're going to live believing that about yourself in every part of your life. So when I have these conversations, it's about saying, okay, support or solutions. Most people either say, I'm just looking for support. I just need, I need a shoulder. I need somebody to cry with. I need somebody to sit with me for 15 minutes and just listen to me, like be super petty (laughs) or whatever. Right. I just... And so am I making sense? I, I, oh, hopefully I, yeah, yeah. I, just, I, I just want to interject because we were just with our coach last Friday and we, I don't know if you heard, but we had a major cyclone here in New Zealand and I, I don't I know. Mean, I I, I'm still in it. I don't watch the news. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't either, but we were in it and, yeah, um, yeah. and we're just, I mean, a cyclone of grand proportion. It's just wow. really ugly. Yeah. The devastation. So, at the end of the cyclone, we got together with our business coach and it was an hour long conversation and really 50 minutes was Michael and I just unloading and she really picked up on it. Like Mm. we just needed to be heard. We just needed to be supported through. And she helped us, you know, at the end, she said, okay, now this is your homework (laughs) because she's a lot like me. I'm like, come on, let's get going. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, okay, here's your homework because we're preparing for a TED talk. She goes, this is what I want you to do. And it was just, David, it's exactly what you're talking about. We felt like that was one of the best coaching Mm. sessions we've ever had because we were in such need of being heard by a Christian sister, Mm. you know, who like, like we have been so saved for our whole family has been so saved and we've, 
we just wanted to share that with her. And so we get what you're talking about more so now because we just experienced that whole, what you're talking about and the love that we experienced, you know, the peace, the joy, the kindness. However, we've been on the other side like you, where people are like, this is what you need to do because you're messing up and, Mm -hmm. and you learn so much from pain, don't you? You do. And the solutions thing, that's, that's, what's really powerful as well is that sometimes like, especially in coaching, people are looking for solutions. And that's where, when it's fierce empathy is that we have to be willing simultaneously when someone opens the door and says, yes, please tell me what I don't see. I want to be open. I want to be confronted. I want to be held accountable. Tell me what I'm not seeing. We owe it to them to speak the hard truth in love and to understand that our number one responsibility to that person is to be completely honest because chances are no one else is. Yes. And when we speak the hard truth in love, the fear that comes up for many people is I don't want to jeopardize this relationship. They, we end up caring so much about the relationship that we actually lie to people. Mm-hmm. Even when they say, I need someone to tell me what they see from the outside looking in because no one else has it. No one right. else is telling or asking me these questions. And so when people are looking for solutions, I always go back to the scripture that says faithful are the wounds of a friend. How I see it when people are dealing with these issues or dealing with struggles or problems, whether it's in their relationship or in their business or in their health, is when we ask that question, are you just looking for support or solutions? Because you guys know uh, coaching is very much solution-oriented, but a lot of times there is that support component as well, is that how I see it is this, is imagine like you've been in battle, right? And you got a cut and it's a deep one. It's like super deep, but you kept fighting and going through. That's like a lot of entrepreneurs, right? It's like you're getting, you're in the battle, right? But over time, right, that thing got infected and it's trying to heal, but it's just infected and there's pus coming out and it's like, it's just, it's gnarly, right? Where solutions come in is saying, my friend, you grab their arm and say, I love you. But in order for this to be healed, In order for this to be fixed, to be restored, for you to be who, like the wholehearted version of yourself, I am going to have to cause you temporary pain because I have to cut into this now to get out the poison, to get out the pus, to get out all of the infection that's in there so that we can sew you up and you can heal. But understand, in order for me to do that, you're not going to like me for a little while because I'm going to be causing you pain. And that's one thing I think that most people don't understand is this only works in the context of safety, accountability, and vulnerability. We can't go around to random people and say, hey, you're bleeding. Hey, let me, let me show you up. It, that doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. We can't hold people accountable unless we have the depth of relationship. But if I'm looking at you, Michael, or you, Isabel, and you come to me and you say, hey, I've got this cut. I can't figure it out. I've tried to stitch it myself. I've tried to get it out. I need someone else to perform surgery. You and I both know I have to hurt you, but it's not because I'm trying to harm you. I have to hurt you because I'm trying to help you heal. And that's where I believe that scripture, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend is so incredibly powerful in a coaching dynamic because we need those people that will use the sword of the spirit to separate, right? To cut into the flesh, but not because they're trying to harm us. 
It's because they're trying to bring us back into alignment, back into truth, back into the reality that is ours, especially as sons and daughters of God. Uh, my, you got my mind just, the wheels are spinning, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was writing while you were talking. And you're absolutely well, fortunately, this right. is recorded, right? No, <laughs> I know. I know. I couldn't help thing. it though. I couldn't help it. <laughs> and that's the beauty of this. You got to have that depth of relationship to say, mm-hmm. okay, do. now do you want this fixed? You know, yeah. do you want me to open this yeah. wound up and clean it out and help you repair? Yeah. Yeah, because I, I realized that. Oh, go ahead, Michael. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I love the point you made. You just can't go out trying to offer solutions to people all over the place, you know, because, yeah. you know, the number one thing you said of three steps is safety. I mean, first off, people have to have a yeah. feel safe yeah. that, yes, they can expose themselves to you so mm-hmm. they can have those solutions and that fix. But until yeah. you get to that safety point, until they get to the safety point with you, don't run around trying to just like, oh, I see this. Oh, I can help you. All this kind of stuff when it's you know, dangerous. They, they're not safe yet. It's dangerous. And we've seen this at you, you take the, the macro view and you just look at history. This is what has happened in New Zealand, Australia, the United States, all, all over the world, is that there were people who operated from a place of pretense, thinking that their life was better than another culture's. And Mm -hmm. so they insert themselves into another culture saying, we are going to help you, even though you don't think you need help. (laughs) And we're going to help advance your, quote unquote, advance your civilization to make things better for you because we think our lives are better than yours. And so you see this played out in, in Native American history. You see this played out in Aboriginal history. You see that, like I'm using those two just for the context of what we have here. And what breaks my heart is that we operate from such a place of ego and pretense thinking that we've got some stuff figured out. Now it's our job to go fix everybody else. Ooh. And that is, I do not believe that I live now from this place that says, I don't really care what anybody else does anymore. I care about my responsibility in my business, which is God's business and my family. And my job is, is to love and to serve and to encourage and to build up. And if I think someone might need help, I have to have the courage to ask them and say, Hey, do you need help? (laughs) Right. And give them permission to say yes or no. Right. But to automatically assume that someone is in need. Now this breaks down a little bit because obviously if somebody's on the side of the road and they're <laughs> there, you can yeah. sometimes tell when people are in need, but yeah. it's being careful to not insert ourselves into situations because we think that we're better off than someone else or we're smarter than them or we're more informed than them or more knowledgeable than them. And this is one of the breakdowns in culture today is everyone's barking. Everyone's shouting. This is the best way. This is how you're supposed to be successful. This is how you live fulfilled. This is how you do all the stuff. The problem with it is that every single person on the planet defines success differently. There is not a single human being on this planet that defines success the same. And the people that do tend to have similarities in their definitions of success, typically they just adopted and stole it from someone else. They don't really know who they are or what they want. Are you afraid of having Alzheimer's? Well, you don't have to anymore. You see, the most up-to-date medical research now shows us having Alzheimer's is an option. 
Yes, you heard me right. Having Alzheimer's is an option. You can learn how by having your very own personalized pre-code report. Now you're probably asking me, what is a pre-code report? Great question. Pre-code stands for preventing cognitive decline. And the pre-code report shows you what unique areas you can start working on right away. All of this has been made available by my genius mentor and medical doctor, Dr. Dale Bredesen, who has been researching this for 30 plus years and wrote the best book ever called The End of Alzheimer's. Having Alzheimer's is now an option. There is hope. For more information on how to get your pre-code underway, look for the link in the show notes. Now, back to the podcast. They say, oh, if I can just have this and this and this and this and this, they don't even, uh, many of them, I unfortunately, and it breaks my heart, they don't even know who they are. Yeah. And they're, they're chasing these things, thinking it's going to bring something to them. They're trying to, to heal from the outside in rather than the inside out. And we end up dealing with the culture, like you talked about Twitter earlier, where everyone's trying to tell everybody the best way to do things instead of just saying, if what you're doing is not working, I have an idea that worked really well for me. Feel free to try it. I'd have you consider trying this, but I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to do it unless you come to me and say, David, will you tell me what to do and how to do it? (laughs) Then of course I will. But until that time comes, which requires relationship and depth and intimacy and connection, until that time comes, my job is simply to love people. And if people are doing stupid stuff, that's causing them pain and difficulty and challenges, I can absolutely go to them and say, hey, you've told me a number of times that you're struggling in your relationship with your wife. I know it's not my place, but I just want you to know if you if you ever want to hear things that I've tried or that have worked for me that have helped my relationship with my wife almost 10 years, we're the best of friends. We've got an intimate relationship, beautiful kiddos. I'd love to share that with you, but I don't want to insert myself in stuff that's not my business. That's very different than being like, yo, you're screwing up your relationship. Why don't you follow me and do what I do? Which is what I see from a lot of the talking heads and influencers and Mm -hmm. gurus in the online space is like, well, you got this problem. Just come be like me and all your problems will be solved. And there is a major, major issue with that because every person defines success differently. Everyone has differences when it comes to fulfillment and what fulfills them. And so I think we have to be very careful when we are deploying fierce empathy we have to remember that the foundation is trust. And if there is no trust, which is what most of social media and politics and religion and all of it, there's a huge lack of trust. And all these people are demanding that we become like them in order to have those results when it's not necessary. And it's also not healthy. And I think it's messing up a lot of people and it's causing a lot of people to not live lives of purpose, intention, peace, joy, and fulfillment. For those uh, who are audio and not video, I'm putting my hand up to that last part there about uh, basically following people that told said, okay, you are messed up and I got your answer. And this is how you're going to succeed. And uh, Isabel and I both as newbie entrepreneurs went through that process in the early part and just blindly did whatever was told and didn't think about did that align with what we were trying to achieve and very frustrating just kept going 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 and then 
popped our heads up years later and said, well, nothing's happened. And if anything, we've gone backwards. And like, too. what's happened I here? It. I <laughs> get know? it because I think we, there's a lot of times, and as you guys know, I mean, we've probably been through similar period of starting an entrepreneurship when you're early stage, you don't know what you're doing. You're just trying to figure stuff out. And then you look at all these people that are winning. You're like, oh, I'm, I must have to do it like them. And I got to right. go create all this stuff. And I got to do this and this and this and this and this. But I think the breakdown that we experience in modeling success or modeling the behavior of people that we want to emulate, there's two things there. Number one is that we're not trying to model what they believe or what they think or how they act. We're trying to model what they do. And if you simply try and model what someone does without understanding what they believe, why they're doing it, and how they think, you will never get the same results ever. It doesn't matter. You're just trying to model what they do. And this is why so often people end up feeling frustrated and feeling like, what the heck? I'm, I'm further behind than I was before. So I can attest to everything that you guys just said. And I, I know I've been guilty of some of this as well in the past too. And I pray that Lord will keep me from ever, ever going down that road again. But the other side of the token is that oftentimes we create this gap between who we are and who they are, thinking that they have something that we don't. Right. Which means right. that there's naturally a superiority complex mm. or an inferiority complex we start to adopt because we think they're intrinsically superior, that they're somehow better, they're somehow smarter, they're better looking, they have all these advantages or whatever it is. And so then we we actually start to operate from lack and scarcity and we eliminate or you know we remove ourselves from an abundant mindset that says, no, I know who I am. I know what I've been called to be. I, I know who my father says that I am. This is who I want to become. And so all I'm going to do is I'm going to look at different people. Who's got the 60-year marriage? Who's got a really healthy body? Who's an incredible parent? Who's an incredible you know, spiritual leader? Who's a person who's really financially successful? And you start looking at these different individuals and yes, you can learn from them. Yes, you should get them as mentors and model them in every area that you want to grow in. But it's recognizing that they're not intrinsically superior because they're winning in a particular metric relative to yourself. You might be the best parent on the planet and be sucking financially. And you'll look at someone winning financially who's a horrible parent and think that they're better than you. And that's one of the damaging things that I see in, in culture and society is that we wipe the slate of the 99 things that we're doing well. And we focus on the one, two, three things that we're not good at. And then we focus on the people that are really good at those things. And then we feel somehow deficient and we feel like a failure. We're not worthy or we're not good enough, or they know some secret or whatever it is. And we start feeling inferior. And when you operate from that place of inferiority, it steals your confidence. You're not going to show up in the way that you want to show up because you're comparing to them and, and effectively idolizing them in an unhealthy way. You've put them onto a pedestal and I feel like it's very, very damaging. And it's only been the past couple of years where I realized I've done that most of my life and it doesn't work. <laughs> hey, I want to, I, I, I have a confession. Are you putting your hand up yeah, I just want to uh... say, I started to feel like that when you, when I was introducing you, like, oh my gosh, and he did this and, and he's done that. I'm like, <laughs> and and then you know god had to like go girl you're mine you're he's yeah. here with you yeah. to speak into you so i've mm. got you two together all three of you together remember three is the trinity so come on we're all here together so the devil is a liar mm. yeah. 
He always will be. And he will jump into our brains and tell us these stupid things while I'm reading this beautiful story about you and how you've been an overcomer. And I'm like, and God was like, you're an overcomer too. So I just want to say it happens to all of us. And I'm the first to share failures because our failures help other people get strong. Like yeah. we're, we're all just doing the best. And yeah. so I just wanted to raise my hand about that. And then I also wanted to say, <laughs> so I loved what you were saying about, I want a little bit of that. And I want this is, you know, like you're a puzzle. And that's what I've come to realize, babe. And David mm-hmm. is that I like see all these things in people that I want in my life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I want, all right, I'm putting this together, you know, and this is the way I want our financial abundance being like Jesus, all that stuff, being able to speak and encourage and empower people. And instead of, I've got to do it this way, and this is the way, and we're going to do it and do it and do it, and it's still not working, but I'm going to do it, and we're going to do it. So that's what I've learned from this whole thing is ask God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? I have a great example that I'd love to share with you guys. Yes, please. Please. If you imagine, because a puzzle, I think, is a, is a great example as well. But imagine, you know, those, and my kids love playing with them, those building blocks that are all different colors and different shapes and stuff. And they all like the Legos. They're kind of like Legos. Legos yeah, yeah. yeah. Legos, right? So when we talk about this thing around who we want to become, that's a big, like my tagline is never stop becoming, is that I believe at the core of my being that when we give ourselves permission to define who we want to become, what we need to do gets crystal clear. And so most people have it backwards. They're they're asking the question, what do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? It's not that that's not a good question. It's just the wrong first question. Mm-hmm. The first question is, who do I want to become? And that only comes, I believe, through surrender and alignment with what the Father has spoken over us as his sons and daughters. And outside of that, it's an incomplete picture. And most of us, right, when we were born, this is the example. We were given this box full of all sorts of different shapes and sizes of colors of Legos, right? And we're born and all of a sudden the box tips over and all these pieces are on the floor, right? And from the moment that we come out of our mother's womb, every single day we've been constructing, we've been assembling ourselves, Mm -hmm. our life. Now, as we're kids and we age and we mature and everything like that, we started seeing other people and their Legos and what they were constructing and building. And so what we naturally started to do is same with our parents and pastors and upbringing, we started to want to be like them, right? So we look at their like, Hey, they have that. Okay. I'm going to put my piece right here. Just like that too. Cause I want to look like that. And what ends up happening is that if you're constantly trying just to be like everyone else, you will construct something. And then you will wake up one day and say, I don't know who I am which is where most people get to at some point in their life, quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it. People, a lot of people get to this point where like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what my purpose in life is. I don't even know what to do. And that was the point that I had come to. And this, this visualization, this, this example came to me one day in prayer. And it was around this concept of being broken. I was like, God, I feel broken. I don't know who I am. Something inside of me has got to be broken. And the problem with this is like, but I know I'm saved. Like I've accepted Jesus. I love him with everything in me. So what the heck is wrong? 
right? Why am I living? Like, why am I dealing with suicidal ideation? Why am I constantly full of anxiety? Why am I battling depression? Why do I want to put a nine millimeter in my brain? What is going on? What, like, I'm confused. And this picture came and I saw it and I have lots of visions and I I love visions. They're so incredibly powerful, but I saw this. And what I felt like the Lord said in that moment is like, buddy, you're not broken. Look over on the floor. And so I could see this structure I'd assembled, which was me. And I look on the floor and there's like still a gajillion pieces on the floor. And he said, buddy, this is not about something inside of you being broken that needs to be fixed. This is a deconstructing deconstruction process and a reconstruction process. You need to take a look at your life and find out, okay, why did I put this here? Where did this come from? And you go and start doing this internal work and you start to disassemble Mm. and reassemble in alignment with who you want to become. And the problem is just like with a puzzle or with like Legos, if you don't have a legend, right? The box to look at or instructions, right? You have no idea what you're creating. You're just like, well, this might go here and this might go here. And that's how life is, right? This, I, you know, maybe this relationship plugs in here and this job goes here and maybe getting this degree goes here or whatever. And we're doing all these things. And when you can come to a point where you just stop and you say, whoa, 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 maybe I'm not broken, but maybe I have been assembled in a way that isn't conducive to me operating from aligned abundance, that it isn't conducive to a way that I can be the wholehearted version of who I was created to be. Yes, I can still look at other people and say, yeah, it'd be really cool to have that and to do that and to do those things. But that's not the, like, that's not the underbelly of the structure, the core structure of who you are. And so for anyone that is listening that Maybe you're feeling like you're broken. Maybe you're not. Like, what if you're not actually broken? What if what needs to happen is you need to get your eyes on who you want to become, who God has said that you are, and not just accept it. That was a big thing that I learned. There's a big difference in accepting what God says about us and believing it. There is a huge difference, right? And when you start to believe it, which is very painful and very difficult because everything inside of you is going to call yourself a liar. Because you're not going to be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm an incredible father. I'm an incredible mother. I'm an incredible leader. You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to think you're a liar. You're going to think you're a liar when you say, I'm worthy. I'm loved. I'm safe. I'm secure. Because you're not going to feel that way. But when you practice these things called affirmations or declarations in alignment with what God has spoken of us, you start to realize maybe I'm not broken. Maybe my perspective is a little skewed. And maybe this thing that I've constructed and assembled All that I need to do is I just need to do a little disassembly and I need to look at my life and all these other pieces that are here. And I can just start to construct and assemble whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah. Even in your sixties, just so everybody know. (laughs) Come on. That's right. (laughs) So it can happen at any time. Everybody is reconstructable at any time. Yeah. Yeah. And in Haggai, one of my favorite passages in Haggai is my latter years are better than my former years. Come on. And so. I always add on my latter years are better than my former years because now Michael mm-hmm. and I are doing it hand in hand with Papa God. Come yeah. on. I you know, it. like, oh my gosh, how long has that taken? And you get to apply <laughs> the wisdom that life has taught you, you know, using the, the Lego blocks. 
vision you've got there. You know, these blocks are laying there. Well, when you're younger, you don't even know what those blocks represent. You're just <laughs> no, no idea. Grabbing them going, oh, I saw that person's Lego building. Well, that block looks pretty good. I'll grab it and put it on mine. And as yeah. life goes on and you gain wisdom and mm-hmm. you do realize, well, I need to reconstruct this whole thing. That now yeah. you look at that block and go, I know what that block is. I understand that block. And yes, I want that one in my building. I want that in my foundation. I want that in my integrity and who I am and my vision for who I want to be. Yeah. Now I know, yes, that's the block I want. I can grab that. And then the one that's there, you look at and go, I don't want that in my building. Get that one out of there and kind of, yes. you know, I don't know. Maybe sell it off or something. <laughs> or flush well, it down the a, toilet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you made a observation though, Michael, is that especially early on, and, and I honor you for the wisdom that you guys have, because it's something I haven't fully acquired yet. You know, you guys have got a couple decades on me and I need to listen to you and all your wisdom. To God uh, be the glory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with those Lego pieces, if we think about our lives, our tendency is to grab the things that are the shiny objects, the things that look different from everything else. But Michael, what you just said, I I don't want to miss that. This was just something that just came to me while you're saying that. And this is, I think, incredibly powerful is that if you're going to have a strong foundation, you're going to pick the boring rectangle blocks that are the most secure. They're the integrity, the responsibility, the accountability, the faithfulness, the love, the joy, the peace, the fruits of the spirit. Those have to be the foundation if you're going to build a massive structure or a secure structure. But what most of us have done is like, oh, look at this shiny looking saucer piece over here that has like, you know, or look at this one that's got this weird. That's where we get caught up in. It's like, oh, if I can only have this job or this spouse or these this amount of kids, the white picket fence and and all the stuff, I can have the money and the cars and. I, and we, we start to build our foundation, right? And it's like what Jesus talked about on sand instead of the solid rock, which is those things, which are faith, hope, and love, the fruits of the spirit and operating from that place. But the thing that's hard about those is that they're the most boring blocks there are, <laughs> right? They're not snazzy. They're not fancy. They don't have any like newfangled stuff. Hang- they're just like these square, rectangular, solid pieces but you can stack something on that a mile high yes, because yes. it's such a secure foundation. I love that. Thank you for that awareness, Michael. That just literally, as you were talking, I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> and I just want to emphasize bold and highlight that can happen even in your 60s, yeah. <laughs> 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, hey, Isabel and I will be adding those blocks for the rest of our life because you know you change as life goes on things changes new things happen you're in new seasons you're we're all constantly in new seasons of life and if mm-hmm. we use that same structure in this mm. season and then the next season ah uh, it m- might not be working now anymore and we need to reevaluate well where am i at in this season mm-hmm. and is this all fit for this season Because, you know, where we're at, being in our 60s with children in our 20s, is not the season you're in. No. So, yes, the foundation needs to be there. But now the blocks on top are going to be totally different. So, again, we can't be looking at, oh, we're... Where's David's foundation? Look at that. Oh, that looks good. And try to apply it to ours. Hell, that's not going to work. We're in different seasons of life. Right. 
I think what wisdom gives you guys the advantage that you have that someone like me doesn't necessarily have yet is that if I go in and do the work, I'm working piece by piece. Now you guys can work piece by piece, but what I think was the reason wisdom gives an advantage is instead of just working piece by piece, you have the ability to remove entire chunks of pieces Mm -hmm. or add entire chunks of pieces that because of your history in your life, there are certain parts that have been constructed and maybe set aside, right? Mm -hmm. Because of pain or baggage or trauma or difficulty or things happening. But when you go to start the reassembly process, wisdom allows you to pick up that chunk of pieces and to reassemble it in a much more rapid fashion than Mm -hmm. someone that is, is in their thirties or even younger, right? Because we're, we're going piece by piece because we don't have that wisdom yet. We have it in certain areas, but you guys have, have lived such beautiful lives and you've been through more than I can understand or imagine, which is why you have an advantage because that process of redefining, of realigning, of saying, okay, this is who I want to become. I feel like, again, you guys have like a, it's a, it's a secret weapon that you only get if you're older. I love it. Thank you for that. Thank you for speaking into us. That's beautiful. I'll take that blessing. And speaking of secret weapons, thank you. That was that was very beautiful. And I will not start crying. I just want Maybe. I want to ask you, David, before we land this beautiful plane that I could just keep on flying with you and Michael in and talking forever and ever, but I know we all have things we need to do today. I just wanted to ask you, could you let our listeners have three action steps that they can take away to start implementing in their life to move forward and up as you teach us? Yeah. So the first, I would say a very practical action step is get a piece of paper and write down on the left-hand side, anything and everything that you're dissatisfied with in your life. Okay. You just write down on the left-hand side, anything and everything you're dissatisfied with. And on the right-hand side of the page, Now, this is going to be a little challenging for some people. Write what you want instead. And if you don't know what you want instead, just write the opposite of what you wrote on the left-hand side. Now, the opposite isn't necessarily going to be exactly what you do want, but it will help open the door to discovering what you really want. Because you walk down the road, I mean, if I was to fly fly down to New Zealand and we were to walk down the main street, we could ask 100 people what they want. Mm -hmm. And 99 of them would tell you what they don't want. Mm -hmm. Yes, They wouldn't be able to tell you what they want because everyone is focused on the problems, frustration. Well, I don't want this. I don't want that. And when they do say things that they want, Mm -hmm. it's not specific. It's not measurable. It's not attainable, relevant time-based. It's not a smart goal. They they said, well, if I could just have a million bucks, all my problems would go away. I'm like, well, respectfully, that's probably why you're never going to have a million bucks (laughs) because you can't just wishful think these things. You have to be very intentional to say, okay, this is why I want whatever it is. And so when you start doing this process of saying, here's where I'm dissatisfied, I'm dissatisfied in my health. I'm dissatisfied with my nutrition. I'm dissatisfied in my relationship. I'm dissatisfied as a parent. I'm dissatisfied in my job. doesn't mean that you do anything with it. It's just acknowledging what is tearing up to causing the chaos of the head and the heart? Hmm. Because we think these things, but for some reason, we don't ever write them down. Scripture is very clear. Write the vision and make it plain. So write down what's going on and then start to vision cast what could be possible by either leaning into the opposite or defining what you want instead. So that's a very practical exercise. Another one is defining your perfect day. 
if you take 20 minutes, and this is, I know it's going to sound a little crazy. I had a mentor of mine that had me do this about five years ago, four or five years ago. She had me uh, write out my perfect day. And this has to include work, family, hobbies, everything. What would be your perfect normal day. You can't just say, I would go fly to Disney World and spend the whole day there. <laughs> you can't do that. But what would your normal working day from the moment you wake up until the moment you go to sleep in 15 minute chunks, write down every single thing that you would want to do. Mm-hmm. Again, involving work, involving play, involving family and meals and everything. Get as specific as you want. Write that down. And what will happen is when you write it down, you're going to look at it and laugh and be like, <laughs> nobody has this kind of lifestyle. Like nobody has a day like this. That's what I did. And two years later, I found that journal entry while I was sitting in my living room at lunchtime. My kids were playing on the floor and I started weeping because I realized that I was living my perfect day mm. and it had become a part of my life. I now have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my, my wife and kids every single day. I have the opportunity to speak and travel. I get to consult. I get to coach. I get to write. I get to do the things that I love. I get to hunt and fish and drink coffee and read nonfiction and my life. I'm so incredibly grateful for. And I obviously, I thank God for all of it. And it's only because of his strength and his power in me. But I realized that because of my intentionality, intentionality to define what I really wanted, it caused me to start thinking differently and have a different perspective about life. And I started unconsciously, not even realizing it, taking actions to manifest or create that reality. Fast forward two years after doing that, and I was living it. And I couldn't believe I was like, I started crying at lunchtime because I was like, this is, I'm sitting here reading what I didn't think was even possible. Right. Right. And so that's number two is to define your perfect day. And even if you laugh at it, even if you think it's completely absurd, right. It's not (laughs) number three. (laughs) What I would say is, is really give yourself 30 days. If anyone wants an extended challenge. 30 days. If you don't know who you are, you're struggling with identity, you're struggling with purpose, you're struggling with you know, fulfillment or finding your calling or what you're supposed to do. Let me give a quick little aside before I give the exercise. Okay. Purpose is something that I think most of society has been hoodwinked over, especially there's a lot of people in, in Christianity as well that have bought into this idea of calling, right? God's calling. Mm-hmm. Now, understandably, there are some scriptures that talk about the callings of God being irrevocable and things like that. However, the definition, the way that we look at it is like, I got to find what God put me here for. What's my calling, God? What's my purpose? And I can't tell you how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Jesus-loving Christians over the years who have been living in anxiety and depression and dealing with suicidal ideation and just overwhelmed because they're desperately praying every single day, God, what am I supposed to do? Reveal my calling. What is my purpose? And when I was praying and I was just, I was asking God this question because I had, I, I was always frustrated by everyone else that seemed to have it all figured out. It's like, Oh, I'm going to go do this and go do this. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just love people. That's about it. That's all I know how to do. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, for a three, 
examples that popped up and I felt like it was the Lord. I don't know if it was, or maybe, you know, we'll go with it. If it really felt right. But I heard, what's the purpose of taking a shower? Let me ask you, Michael and Isabel, what's the purpose of taking a shower? To get clean. Okay. What's the purpose of driving a car? To get from point A to point B. Okay. What's the purpose of eating dinner? To, to nourish, nourish yourself. Okay. Hey. <laughs> so nourish yourself. What's really interesting is that if we look at it almost any other context, the word purpose is nothing more than an action to be taken to get a result. Right. Mm. A verb. Yeah. The, the shower is for cleanliness. The food is for nourishment, right? The driving the car is to get to where you want to go. And so we've been looking for purpose and calling and all these things when really, if you define the outcome, you define who you want to become, the life that you want to live and who you want to be, and you start operating in that place. Again, what you need to do gets crystal clear. However, the most powerful thing happens in this process. Now, every single thing you do, every single thing you think that you believe that you, that you decide your relationships, your network, your job, everything. If it does not come into alignment with that, it's an easy no. Right. But when it is in alignment with it, right, there is purpose in it because it is helping you to become who you said you'd be. And so if you're looking for purpose or for calling in your life, the way to create purpose and meaning every single day is to define the outcome first. And so here's what we do for 30 days, five minutes. You sit down and you shut your eyes, you shut up and you listen, <laughs> you get quiet, you still yourself, you focus on the father, you allow flow, what bubbles up the old Testament word for prophecy. One of the interpretations means to bubble up. So you have stillness, vision, you look spontaneity, what bubbles up and you flow, you write it out. And I want you to ask one question, God, how do you see? me. You do that for 30 days. And I promise you, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. And you will, I'm not saying you won't have ups and downs. I'm not saying you might, you know, lose the path along the way. I'm not saying that you might deal with some depressive bouts or anxiety, but I, when you come out of that, when we talk about this security in your identity and knowing who you are, and walking forward in confidence, there is nothing like it that I've ever experienced. And unfortunately, most people won't do it because it's a, it's a commitment, right? Mm. But if you really, really, really want to become secure in who you are and you don't want to be bound to the outcomes and what everyone else says and what everyone else thinks and, and all the stuff that's going on in the world, what it really does is it brings you to a place where it, you say, you know what? Everything outside does not have to be okay yes. for me to be okay. And that's unfortunately where most people have made the biggest mistake of their lives. They say, once everything out there is okay, I'll be okay. Mm. But bring yourself to that place. When you start to see yourself the way the father sees you, you can say, man, I can be okay no matter what's going on outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ultimate peace. Yeah. Ultimate passes yeah. all understanding and it will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. And it is beautiful. <laughs> and <laughs> So much mercy. Yeah. Uh, David, I'm just going to take a deep breath. Uh, ah. Yes, everyone. I'm sure all the listeners are like, Ooh, whoa, whoa, where did we just go? Uh, we were just out there. Love it. Yes. 
Well, David, in the next couple minutes, would you please let everyone know how they can find you, where they can find you, anything you want to promote, let people know about. We'll make sure it's in the show notes, but the floor yeah. is yours, sir. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, anyone can find me uh, on social media at David Waldy. You can literally go on any social media platform, type in at David Waldy. If you really want to connect with me, though, Instagram is the best. And if you reference the podcast, of course, then I'll know that you came from Isabel and Michael. And But you can also check out my website. It's weird now. I can say this and it still feels weird, but I'm like, you can Google me and you'll find me pretty easily, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> cool. But outside of that, I do have something I'd love to bless everyone with. It's free, 100% free but it's called the fierce empathy framework. And so this is really useful. Even if you are, there's, there's two forms to it. One is a self-coaching framework. So it's called the fierce empathy self-coaching framework. And the other one is just the fierce empathy framework for coaches, consultants, and trainers. And what either of those are, if you want to get the self-coaching one, it's a really powerful way to answer a lot of the questions that we've been working through, even in our conversation today. And it gives a systematic step-by-step process or how to establish, okay, what are the foundations? Where am I? Like, how can I look up and, and come to terms with reality of where I'm at, the decisions I've made, what I'm failing to control that I should be controlling, and what I'm trying to control that I was never meant to control. And it works through FIERCE is actually an acronym. So the foundations, and you go into intentions and goal setting, and you go into expectations and boundaries and how to create the boundaries necessary. We have relevancy, then the constructs, the belief systems that we have, and then escalation, which is helping you take your life to the next level. And so uh, it's 100% free, but if you go to fierceempathyframework.com, so just fierceempathyframework.com, there's a button you can download it for free. And I would love to know if anyone does, if they find it useful, make sure you let me know because I love to, to support you and cheer you on on your journey. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. Details will be there. And David, what an amazing, amazing, beautiful conversation today. We learned a lot about building our Lego building today <laughs> <laughs> with fierce empathy. But yeah, your wisdom abounds. And thank you so much for sharing with you, sharing with our listeners. Anything you want to add, hon? No, just we love you. Yes. Well, yes. Well, thank you, both of you, for for honoring me, for sharing your platform and, and allowing me to be here. And it's truly an honor. And I'm very grateful for the time we share. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today on the MD and Chef Team Show. We've been with David Waldy today. I'm sure you're going to find this interview has been so impactful in your life. You might want to re-listen to it a few times and take some notes because there is so many fantastic nuggets in there. I definitely will. Yes, yeah. you know it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for being here with us today. And God bless you. And we'll see you again on the next show. And remain unstoppable. Bye for now. Love you. Bye-bye. Hello, Chef Michael here. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you subscribe to the podcast and left us a review.